I'm Denzel Muhammad, and this is JobMakers. As we've established in this podcast, immigration and entrepreneurship go hand in hand. Immigrants are twice as likely to start a business. So why then don't we have a visa allowing immigrant entrepreneurs to stay here? For Jeff Farah, General Counsel at the National Venture Capital Association, a DC-based group that advocates for public policy that supports American entrepreneurship, a so-called startup visa is a no-brainer. For immigrants who went through our universities or worked for American companies or simply have a viable business plan and want to start a business here, we should be rolling out the red carpet. Instead, we reject them and actively deny ourselves job creation, innovation, and economic dynamism. Jeff is advocating for a startup visa and other immigration reforms that would bring jobs to America. And he notes that it's not just big policy changes that could move the needle, as you learn in this week's Job Makers. Jeff Farah, thank you for joining us in JobMakers. How are you? I'm doing well, Denzel. Thanks so much for having me. So why is immigration such an important issue to the National Venture Capital Association? I see it's one of your 10 issue areas. Where where does it rank and why? Well, I I kind of think back to a a conversation I had with a a board member of ours several years ago. and We were walking in in D.C. between meetings at, at an agency and on the way to Capitol Hill. And we were talking about a lot of the issues on NBCA's list. And you know, he said, so many of the things you all do are so important to us and important to the founders. But when you think about immigration, you're really talking about the whole company because without these individuals coming to the United States, oftentimes to launch a high growth startup, there's no company in the first place. And so it's kind of a, a, a genesis moment in, in some ways. And so I think that you know all you have to do is look at the storied history of immigrant entrepreneurs who have, who have launched so many iconic U.S. companies, and it, it becomes obvious why it is that we really need to make some serious changes in this country if we're going to remain the best place in the world to launch a high-growth company. So has it always been a focus of your association, or have there been times where uh, it's taken precedent over others? Well, certainly a lot of times with with any trade association, we're we're a little bit at the the whims of what it is that that Congress and and federal policymakers are doing. And so certainly there are times when immigration is something that is is a lot more on the list. And I'm reminded, of course, of of the time period during the Obama administration where there were efforts to pass comprehensive immigration reform. reform. Also happened during the Bush administration. Of course, during the, the 2013 bill that I'm referring to, there was a start at Visa that was included in that, that NBCA had a lot to do with, with pushing. In terms of, of time period, it's certainly been a, a piece of NBCA's advocacy work for many decades. And, and this is something where going back about 15 or 20 years, it was a group of venture capitalists that, that really recognized first that we didn't have a tailor-made way to be able to have foreign-born entrepreneurs come into the country, that we were very much using these square peg round hole solutions. 
and that we needed to have a, a more elegant way to allow these individuals who want nothing more than to want, launch new American enterprises to be able to come to our country. And so really ever since then, a startup visa has been something that has been at the forefront. And we're, of course, very interested in, in getting this across the finish line, but have had uh, a number of successes along the way. So this startup visa, you, you make it sound as though it's, 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 it's almost inherently American, this idea of, of, of enterprise and starting a business and creating opportunities. So I see several countries have some, for, some form of a startup visa. I mean, from Australia and Canada all the way to Estonia and Lithuania, uh, the Netherlands, Singapore, Denmark, Chile. Um, where is the U.S. on this issue of a well, startup visa? Unfortunately, we're not far enough along. And I think, you know, the, the countries that you've mentioned, you know, both in immigration, but in other policy areas too, they've seen all the benefits that, that high growth startups have created in the United States. And our, our playbook is, is obvious in terms of the things that we have done in this country to create that secret sauce. And so other countries are trying to replicate a lot of the policies that, that we have had historically in this country. But in, in one way, they've, they've innovated and, and kind of done things that we've not been able to do, which is in trying to attract the world's best entre entrepreneurs to their shores. And so despite the fact that we've seen this proliferation of other countries creating startup visas, we, we have not in the United States. And it's not because it's a terribly controversial idea. In fact, you know, in my time talking with a lot of lawmakers, you don't really get any pushback on the substantive issue. If you ask people, should we make it easier for individuals who want to create new American companies and give American citizens jobs, should we allow those people to do so more easily? You will probably get 535 members of the House and the Senate to nod in approval. The tricky part, though, is that immigration policy tends to be caught up in some other very, very controversial issues. And we've been in a, a bit of a dynamic here in the last several years where not much else can move on immigration reform unless the entire package moves. And so the politics tend to be very complicated and it does lead to this unfortunate situation where perhaps some of the low-hanging fruit, like a startup visa, are, are not able to get across the finish line. And we've certainly tried to come up with, with perhaps creative ways of addressing that, but ultimately have not been able to, to get the, the bill passed. We have been very, very fortunate to have champions on this issue on a bipartisan basis going back many years. The most recent version of this that viewers should, should take a look at is called the Like Act from Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren. It's the Let Immigrants Kickstart Employment Act. And this is Ms. Lofgren's latest version of, of a bill she had done previously to create a startup visa. And she both creates a non-immigrant visa and then an immigrant visa that individuals can graduate into. So if you first come on the non-immigrant visa or you come on an O-1A visa, you can graduate into the immigrant visa on a pathway to citizenship. And then over on the Senate side, there is a, a larger bill called the Startup Act, which does a number of, of things in startup policy. And that's from a group of senators, Senator uh, Mark Warner from Virginia, Jerry Moran from Kansas, Amy Klobuchar, Roy Blunt, really a, a great group of senators. And within that bill, there is also a startup visa. And so that really shows that there's the, the capability of this really getting the attention of people from all different political stripes. I understand this idea of, of it being mired within something that's uh, so politicized and so contentious, immigration, 
whereas it's it's such an integral part of who of what America is, um, and I I know of many stories of entrepreneurs or budding entrepreneurs who, because of our immigration system, were not allowed to stay here and start their companies. Uh, an educational uh, online resource called Sutori started by a group of three immigrants. Um, it ended up being, you know, two of them had to go to other countries in order to, to continue the business. Only one was, was allowed to stay here. And you, you spoke earlier about, you know, it being such a part of our, of America, America's secret sauce, so many iconic American brands, Levi's jeans, Kraft, uh, Kraft cheese, Coors Bear, Budweiser, uh, up until Tesla and Google and eBay, all founded by immigrants. Explain to me how uh, the startup visa would work and you know, other initiatives that, that you'll support, like uh, you know, the idea of stapling a green card onto a college diploma. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, I, I think that a great illustration of how the startup visa works is, is mentioning perhaps a, another famous foreign-born entrepreneur. There's a gentleman named Jody Bansal, and, and, and Jody is from India originally. He came to the United States on an H-1B visa, and, and he wanted to be an entrepreneur, but he was working under his H-1B status. That was the, the authorization that he had to be in the country. And Jody has talked publicly about the fact that he needed to wait seven years in order to get his green card. Well, of course, he couldn't launch his own company while he was working on an H-1B visa. He needed to have the green card to be able to go and, and do that. And so you kind of think about somebody like him who is unnecessarily waiting to do what they're probably put on this earth to do, which is to launch a, a high growth company. Well, Jody finally gets the green card. He launches a company called App Dynamics. And App Dynamics, on the eve of its IPO, ended up selling to Cisco for $3.7 billion. And you, and you think about that situation. Well, obviously, Jody has done a tremendous job of creating value. He's got lots and lots of employees. A leading American technology company values it at almost $4 billion. And you think to yourself, well, it's really a shame that we had to wait that additional seven years for that individual to go off on their entrepreneurial journey. And then the other issue that Jody has talked about is that he has friend, had friends of his during the same time period that didn't feel like they could wait all the time that was needed. And so they ended up leaving the country and going and launching new companies in other countries. And that is unbelievably frustrating because the United States could have had those companies. We could have had that additional dynamism in the economy. We could have had that employment. We could have had that innovation, the intellectual property, so on and so forth. And I think that you know, one thing that we've spent a lot of time talking with policymakers about is there's this there's this recognition, I think, in, in a lot of circles here that the venture has really become globalized in, in many ways. Because as I said before, so many countries have copied our playbook, and this is a perfectly reasonable thing for them to do, to try and create startup ecosystems in, in their own countries. If you look out over the last 20 years or so ago, the United States used to get about 86% of the global venture capital pie that would go into U.S. startups. That number has been dropping over the course of the last couple of decades. And the last couple of years, we got about 51% of global venture capital. Now, the total number, of course, continues to go up. We continue to raise more venture capital here in the United States, which is a good thing. But it also shows that other countries are getting their act together and they are able to welcome these individuals who are unfortunately not welcomed in the United States with, with something like a startup visa. And so that's something we're really trying to fix here because 
I think that ultimately the visa categories that we have now at our disposal, they're not made for the entrepreneurial model. You think about an individual who goes to work at a large tech company on an H-1B visa, that's a, a different circumstance than somebody who wants to launch his or her own company. Or you think of somebody on an O-1 visa. Sure, there are lots of entrepreneurs that end up getting O-1 visas, and, and that's a, a great thing and, and certainly a, a bit of a, a way to kind of capture some individuals. But when you're trying to measure whether or not someone is extraordinary enough to get that O-1 visa, that means they have to have a certain track record of accomplishment to point it to, to, the, to the direction of USCIS, which ultimately is making those decisions. That doesn't work very well if you're 23, 24, 25 years old, and this is your first company, or maybe it's your second company and your first one failed. And so we are losing entrepreneurs who are not able to use the categories that we have now, which is why we need to create a category for these individuals who want to launch these companies so that we don't lose out on those opportunities going forward. And in their own way, certain states have actually stepped in to try to solve this. In Massachusetts, for instance, there's something called the Global Entrepreneur in Residence Program, a way to bypass the quotas that would allow uh, high-skilled immigrants who've gone through our university system to be able to stay here and incubate their businesses. Uh, Thomas Ketchel, the person I, I mentioned, that was his only avenue in order to be able to stay here. Um, how would these startup visas create this ripple effect of employment in the economy? Well, I think that you know the, the the economic literature on this is is very very clear, which is that the, the the growth in our economy, the the dynamism that I referenced before, it comes from young companies as they they scale and grow. And you, and you look at these companies that are five years old or less, and they're the key drivers of employment. Where you have a lot of larger companies that are roughly hiring and firing in proportion on an annual basis, and that's probably going to be the way it's always going to be. But then a lot of the growth comes from these, these really special high growth young companies. And so we need to figure out a way how it is we get more entrepreneurship, how it is we convince people that they need to leave their perfectly secure jobs at, at pick a company and jump out and, and do something extraordinary and audacious. And so one component of doing that is to allow individuals from other countries who are very interested in following that model to come here to ultimately do it. And so, you know, we, we, we know that foreign born entrepreneurs are, are among the most successful ones anecdotally. We also know that immigrants tend to be more entrepreneurial from a lot of the data that's been published by, I think in the Harvard Business Review by Professor Kerr. And so it's certainly something that, that seems obvious to us. I, I think that one frustration that we have encountered with a lot of policymakers is this very wrong assumption that just because the United States has been the, the best place to launch a high growth company in the last 50 years, that that's necessarily going to be the case in the following 50 years. And that is absolutely not the case. We, we cannot afford to rest on our laurels because as I said before, other countries are very, very serious about, about taking this mantle away from us. And we know that entrepreneurs are very influenced by public policy when there are signals that are sent to the marketplace, that is something that, that people ultimately do derive lessons from. And in the case of immigration, if we're sending up a giant stop sign at our borders to individuals who wanna create new companies, those people are dogged individuals and they will go and start that company in other countries and there's new capital available all over the world to do that. It's so interesting that you talk about this globalization of, of venture capital and, and, and funding and our loss 
in the in the rankings in the world, I mean, that's from 80-something percent to 51 percent. That's really astonishing and almost kind of shameful. Um, describe for me the, the international entrepreneur rule. What is that about? Sure. So this is something that NBCA has, has led on for, for many years. And as I alluded to before, when there was comprehensive immigration reform that was that was going on in Congress, at one point it became obvious that that wasn't going to come to pass. And so what the Obama administration did was it, it asked itself, what other tools are out there where we might be able to smooth the path for foreign-born entrepreneurs to allow these individuals to create new American companies, but to do that without creating a new visa category. And so what the Obama administration determined is that they could use something called parole authority. And parole is used in, in a lot of different contexts to allow individuals from other countries to remain in the United States. And so if you look at the, the statute that, that gives the Department of Homeland Security and, and USCIS this authority, it talks about the individual needs to provide a so-called significant public benefit to the United States. And what the Obama administration did to their credit was they put that in an economic context. And they said, when an individual is starting a new company, they are certainly providing a significant public benefit to the United States by way of employment and innovation and, and all the things that, that we've mentioned before. And so they launched the International Entrepreneur Rule in the final days to allow the Department of Homeland Security on a case-by-case -case basis to look at applications of would-be immigrant entrepreneurs and determine whether or not they met a, a series of requirements. And so when President Trump was elected, we, we had a sense that this was going to be tough sledding, just given a lot of the immigration rhetoric that had, had gone on. And so we ended up approaching the Trump administration very early to try and really make sure they understood that this was a way to create American jobs here in the country and, and very much should have aligned with, with President Trump's vision for what he was talking about during that campaign. But unfortunately for us, they didn't see it that way at all. They made a couple of attempts to repeal it. We ended up filing the uh, first federal lawsuit in the history of NBCA against the federal government to block them from, from doing that. We won in, in federal court in, in Washington, D.C. And it was really because of that lawsuit that the international entrepreneur rule was around. Now we're in a situation where applicants are starting to apply for, for the international entrepreneur rule. And the final thing I'll just mention on this is that it was it was really um, fantastic that one of the first individuals who ended up uh, getting uh, the the international entrepreneurial designation was backed by the then board chair of, of, of NBCA. So it was a great kind of culmination that you had this individual who was working in the network security field, had a great idea, but was in a bad spot from an immigration perspective. He ended up applying for IER and, and getting it. And so that was very rewarding to kind of see that happen because of our work. But looking more broadly at the immigration policies of the last administration, it wasn't simply a crackdown on uh, unauthorized immigration. They significantly cut legal immigration to the US, uh, even the high-skilled best and brightest that they claimed they wanted. Um, reflect a little bit on, on what happened over those four years and, and how, how do you see that um, has having benefited or hurt the uh, United States? 
Sure. I, mean, I think you've hit the nail on the head in terms of the, the way it went about. And I think this is something where a lot of the messaging in public from former President Trump, a lot of the individuals in, in his administration would talk about illegal immigration as being their focus. And that if individuals just would only go through the, the legal process, then that would be perfectly fine. It's individuals that didn't go through the legal process that they had a problem with. But of course, that wasn't what was going on in, in reality, because there was really a, a two-pronged attack that was going on. It was, as they said, focused on individuals that, that, that perhaps were not going through the process, but simultaneously focused on a lot of individuals that, that had been, quote, waiting in line, as, as, as folks would, would say. I think that during the Trump administration, you know, one of the things that, that we were involved with that was, you know, we don't know or we cannot quantify, rather, what types of individuals had a painful experience and gave up their their desire to come to the United States to either work at a high tech company or to go through a process to try and become an entrepreneur. And so that's something where those individuals probably are in other geographies now working on their companies. And, and that's real lost economic value that our country is, is not going to get back. So I took a look at the White House's website to see what uh, the Biden-Harris administration's top priorities are. And immigration is one of them. They call it outdated. They call it a uh, long broken system. Um, what is the path forward? Well, I think you know right now we're in a situation where clearly the president is is focused both on COVID but also on the Build Back Better agenda, and that's dominating the headlines and, and certainly something that I think Democrats are clearly highly motivated to get this over the finish line during during this calendar year. And so I think that's going to be the focus. It, it does not look at this time as if immigration policy is going to be able to be in the Build Back Better Act. And, and that really is because of the budget reconciliation tool that the Democrats are, are using here. And there are a variety of rules that apply to the types of things that can go into that bill. And so in terms of, of looking forward, you know, this has been an issue that there are a lot of key constituencies, especially within the Democratic Party, that have wanted to make progress on immigration reform for many, many, many years. And it's been incredibly frustrating. And so I suspect that there will be a concerted effort to make progress on this. I think, though, that the, the issue will become ultimately what the makeup is of the House and the Senate. And that might be something that, that might frustrate a lot of these efforts going forward. And so I think that you know some people are projecting that Republicans are, are likely to take the House. Perhaps they will take the Senate. That probably doesn't, doesn't lead to a, a positive outcome on immigration reform. It's not even necessarily an immigration issue. I mean, it's it's business generation, it's it's job creation, and it's inherently American. I think that's that's where it fits into the narrative for me, as far as I see it. But it's also a human issue. It's 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 people who you know build up dreams and 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 need a place where they can uh, actualize their, their their ideas uh, for the benefit of the host country, right? I completely agree. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that there, there are these efforts right now going on on a so-called China bill, and it's gone by a, a bunch of different names over time. I wish you the best of luck in your advocacy and in your work. Um, and I hope more people join your coalition to be able to get these things uh, done. Uh, we need an immigration system that works for all of us, right? We do. I appreciate you shining a light on this. And it's been a pleasure to be part of the conversation. Jobmakers is a weekly podcast about immigrant entrepreneurship and contribution produced by Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston, and the Immigrant Learning Center in Malden, Massachusetts, a not-for-profit that gives immigrants a voice. Thanks for joining us for today's insightful conversation 
on how welcoming entrepreneurial talent benefits all of us. It's a good way to end our first year. Jobmakers will take a break for the holidays and return on January 6th with a fascinating interview with the author of Open, the story of human progress on how borders are actually holding us back. Send your questions to Denzil, that's D-E-N-Z-I-L, at jobmakerspodcast.org. I'm Denzel Mohammed. See you in 2022 for the next episode of Jobmakers.